everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Stephen. That is my lovely book-loving wife, Liberty. We are back from our Christmas break, and of course, because we took a break, I now have a cold. It seems like it's becoming a trend. Like, you know, your immune system... It's not system, like I go out and party. No, but like your immune system's just like, oh, you want to be around people even if they're wearing masks? Well, enjoy your COVID. Or enjoy the sick. Like the COVID thing was like the first round of sick way, way back. I was going to say, I've only had COVID once. Yeah, now just sick with the cold. We are a married couple with different interests, and we try to force our hobbies upon each other by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. That's what we do here on the podcast. And as stated previously, today is a book episode. In the world of book news, there isn't a lot going on outside of people trying to ban books and pass legislation about banning books. I'm looking at you, Oklahoma. And Texas... Well, Oklahoma is specifically passing legislation that would make it so that the person trying to ban the book could get paid a certain amount of money every day that it doesn't get banned from the time that they filed or whatever to try to ban the book. Oh, yay. It's BS. But I thought I would discuss some adaptations that are going to be coming in the new year and one that I only heard about this past week, but it looks like it was actually picked up in 2018, but obviously it hasn't come out yet. And that is Stephen King's 2013 novel Joyland, which is being adapted for TV by Freeform. Weird combination in my mind because that's not what Freeform used to be, but maybe that's what they are now. Well, they are a free format channel, so maybe that's what they're actually going with finally, instead of it being like old Disney films and things. The book is set in 1973 and tells the story of Devin Jones, who is an undergrad taking a part-time job at a carnival in North Carolina. He ends up being the one left dealing with a perplexing homicide. Bill Haber will be the chief producer for the project with O-Star Productions. As if Stephen King needed another thing to be adapted, but, you know, people seem to like it. Let's say in general, I think people just like his work, and that might be why, but... Yeah. Other adaptations that are set to come out in 2022, but don't have any definitive date attached to it, as far as I can tell, some of them are further along in the process than others, obviously. The School of Good and Evil by Somani Chainani, I believe is how you say that name. If not, please correct me. Is there an extra I in there? Yes. Oh, okay. The screenplay is written by David McGee, Laura Solon, Malia Scotchmarmo, and the author herself. The book follows the adventures of Sophie and Agatha, who are whisked away to the school for good and evil to live with the children of famous princes, princesses, and even defeated villains. It was super popular when it came out, and there are still some people in the book community talking about it now. I have never picked it up because I believe it's a middle grade, and I don't read a ton of those, but I could see it being pretty popular. Yeah, it sounds like it's got an interesting plot to it. It's just a matter of like what is going to happen. Is, yeah. yeah. And then Death on the Nile by Agatha Christie, which came out in 1937, is being adapted as well. Peace and Tranquility on the SS Karnak is destroyed after one of the passengers is found murdered. Hercule Poirot is tasked with identifying which of the passengers is the killer before they strike again. It features renowned actors such as the guy whose name I always mispronounce, Kenneth Branagh, Gal Gadot, Letitia Wright, and more. I've heard of that more guy. He's really good. 
He's in everything. Right? You're such a jerk. <laughs> Sarah J. Mass fans will be excited to know that A Court of Thorns and Roses, which is a 2015 book, is going to be adapted as well. The author is the one writing the pilot, so hopefully that is pretty true to the book. I would assume it would be. I would hope she'd keep the canon because it kind of drives her book series, so... In this one, 19-year-old huntress Feyre kills a wolf in the woods, and a beast-like creature arrives to demand retribution. Feyre is dragged into a treacherous, magical land she only knows about from legends, and then things unfold from there. If you know Sarah J. Mass, I think you know where the story is most likely headed. Towards good. Good things, right? Never bad things. I mean, I didn't read this series from her. I've read all of the Throat of Glass series, and I've read the first book in her Crescent City series, because that's the only one that's come out so far. But I know a lot of people like the A Court of series. And also set to come out in 2022, Sandman by Neil Gaiman, which originally released in 1991 is being adapted. This will be its first television adaptation. It's been adapted as movies in the past. Upon escaping after decades of imprisonment by a mortal wizard, Dream, which is the personification of Dreams, sets about to reclaim his lost equipment. This stars Gwendolyn Christie, Stephen Fry, Jenna Coleman, and others. Those are pretty big names. Yeah. Yeah. And that's about it besides, like I said before, the whole uh, people trying to get stuff banned. Towards the end of the year, not a ton happens, so I'm not surprised that a lot didn't happen while we were gone for Christmas. Yeah, I usually just do a lot of pre-orders and then we wait for -hmm. things to come in, so. And there is some hubbub about someone's got a book coming out before the royal books are released from What's-His-Face, Prince Harry, his books. And so the publishers are a little afraid of this other book coming out before the prince's books because apparently they will also tell all. So they think, well, they're not going to buy Prince Harry's book when this other guy's going to tell you everything you need to know the week before, which is stupid, but not really newsworthy either. Let's say, who would publish that knowing that they might be wrong? I mean, I could see a lot of people wanting to get a different perspective, so they would want a book like that to come out, but... Obviously, it's not the same people that he's got contracts with because they wouldn't do something that's in competition with itself. That would defeat the purpose, needless to say. Yeah. But since it's a new year, I thought we'd do a new year resolution tag. I actually combined a few different new year's resolutions tag. So hopefully you can answer most of these. I have answers for some of them. Okay. How many books are you planning to read in 2022? So you're here here first, unless you're on my Goodreads, because I updated that today. 30 books is kind of what I'm going for. I did 21 last year, so... Nice. I ended up finishing... I, uh, I originally had a goal of 20. I ended up finishing, I think, with like 22. So not too bad, but yeah. I feel like adding 10 more wouldn't be crazy, especially considering I have like a collection of comics that I still need to read, so... Yeah. I said instead of having a somewhat open-ended book goal of the year like I've had in the past, I'm attempting a more targeted goal because last year my goal was 52 plus with stretch goals of 78 and 104. But now my goal is to stay somewhere between 52 and 104 because 
I I was excessive in 2021. I ended up reading 179 books. And if I wasn't so worried about continuing other projects that I'm hoping to work on in 2022, I could have finished another book. So I could have gotten to 180. But I also know that I have an issue because I have a lot of comics on my TBR shelf and a lot of comic series I'm wanting to finish. And you should be able to fly through those, which means you'll rack up some book numbers right. very early. So, like, part of me is considering doing a goal of 52 to 104, hopefully towards the lower side, plus comics. Yeah. And not have my comics count towards that. But I haven't decided that yet. We'll see. That would also be complicated for no reason. but That wouldn't be anything new. Yeah. What's a book you wanted to get to in 2021 that you didn't manage to read? So I want to start the Foundry Side series. Like I'm re- thinking that'll be the first thing we read next season. Yeah. Because the third book is coming out this year. Right. I, I need to figure out when, but it's the final book in the series. So reading that whole series this year could be a good like marathon read. Yeah. I said that I had hopes to get further along in the 10 First Dates anthology that I picked up in early 2021, which it was that E anthology, which was... 10 different romance novels, and I only managed to finish five of them, I think. So one of my, like, unspoken goals or one of my goals that isn't an actual goal is to finish that in 2022. Makes sense. But, you know, 2021 was, like, a dumpster fire, so I don't blame myself for going, I'm not enjoying this, we're going to put it on pause. So it was a dumpster fire behind the wildfire that was 2020. It's just... And now we're going to have a tire fire. I feel like that's worse than a dumpster fire. They burn really like hot and they smaller. don't go out and the smoke is just awful. But it's smaller. It, one tire versus a oh, whole a dumpster. tire. Not like a bunch of tires. Yeah. Just one tire fire. So I don't know if I ever told you about the tire fire behind my church. So like you had a company right there. And you had a tire company because I'm going to bleep out which tire company that was. Yeah, a tire company that caught fire. And we got evacuated from school because they didn't know anything about how to put out a tire fire, our local fire department. So it just burned a lot and there was a lot of smoke and our parents had to come pick us up on the other side of the school because they shut down the whole road. It was really great. 2022 is not going to be that kind of tire fire. It's just going to be one tire in the middle of your sidewalk or something. Yeah. And so you're just going to have to scrape like rubber off your sidewalk. And then hopefully 2023... Is like a, a little teeny tiny fire in a, like a bathroom trash can. I feel like that's still pretty big. <laughs> Arguably bigger We're than... We're going a... from a forest fire. You got to take small steps. <laughs> got it. Anyway, that was a side road. I didn't mean to go down. What's a genre you'd like to read more of this year? Uh, I'm realizing more and more that I'm like a sci-fi or just fiction person in general. And I think I would love to be more in those categories again. Well, I feel like I already knew that about you. Yeah. But I also said I'd like to read more science fiction, but I said science fiction and fantasy. Yeah. I feel like I've read way more contemporary or romance or mystery this year, this past year, than is normal for me. So I'd like to go back to reading more science fiction and fantasy. Back to your foundation of joy. But I've also read so many comics and graphic novels this year, but I'm enjoying that, so I don't want to cut that out. You're welcome. Yeah, because you told me about Lumberjanes and Giant Days. Oh, wait, no, you didn't. No, but I nudged you into buying one, and then you were like, oh, now I have to read them. And I'm like, yes, you do. And I actually ended up apparently convincing one of my friends to start Lumberjanes as well. 
So I'm very happy. Yeah. You have somebody else to talk to about it. That's good. And it was really funny because I was texting her last night and she was like, yeah, my summary for the first Lumberjanes is all of the girls from the Roanoke cabin telling Ripley no and Ripley going, Ripley, yes. (laughs) And I was like, that works for a lot of the ones I've read so far. So enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next question is, how do you organize your bookshelf and are you planning on reorganizing it this year? Um, so the only shelf I'm allowed to have is my own TBR shelf. That's not even like a full bookshelf. You have like a literal shelf. Yeah. And the rest of the shelves get organized however Liberty wants them to be organized. So I don't mess with it. Well, apparently I'm a monster is what I've discovered because I have one that is like my favorite books. And then the next one is not quite my favorite books, but almost. And like I work that way through all of my shelves. And you have a Harry Potter shelf and then you have... And basically the bookcase behind me is just like series that are finished and that there aren't more books coming out. But I realized I need to take one of the series off there. So yes, it will be fixed and adjusted and reorganized. So I do plan on doing that, just not while we're also doing the podcast. It's going to be about a month from now. I'm going to reorganize all my bookshelves and I'll hate my life for like a week. Maybe we'll make something of it. We'll talk about that later on the questionnaires. But I said that basically I have the book cases are organized by like how I feel about the books. But then within there, wow, that was very country. Within there, <laughs> it's organized by genre for the most part. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see how it ends up going in about a month. What book are you the most excited about reading in 2022? I don't know. Like I, there, there aren't any new releases that I really know about because unlike you, I don't like delve deep into new release stuff because a, I have all released stuff to read for the <laughs> most part. Yes. yes. And so I don't know. If there's one that I'm really over the moon excited about. Like I really want to finish Cytonic so I can go on to the last novella and be mm-hmm. like, let's wrap this up. Yeah. And apparently the next one for you to read after that in this series isn't coming out till 2023. So you have all of 2022 to read whatever. There's another book after Cytonic? After Evershore, there's going to be another book. Really? Yeah. And that's the last book in the series. Gotcha. I believe. Dang, I was really set on finishing that series, but Uh, I guess I'm not even there yet. You'll be caught up, though. I guess that's good. Yeah. Now you get to see what it's like to have to wait for a book to come out. Yeah. I said that I have some new releases I'm looking forward to and that I have a full list up on my blog. Self-plug here. Um, You can check that out via the show notes. I've got a link there for you. And I also have a lot of next books in series that I'm excited for. But there is one book that I've only heard mentioned once when I wrote my notes. But since then, I've heard it mentioned again. And the cover and synopsis captured my attention immediately, and I ended up pausing the video I was watching so that I could pre-order this book. And it is Dead Silence by S.A. Barnes. It's pitched as Titanic meets The Shining. And this is my favorite combination of genres. It's a sci-fi thriller. It involves a ghost ship, a salvage crew, and unspeakable horrors. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that would be something that'd be like directly up your alley. Not like sort of kind of up your alley, but like perfect. Well, and like I don't normally like a lot of like thrillers. Like that's not a genre I normally dive into, but you make it a sci-fi thriller and somehow that makes it 
like, I don't know, more palatable for me. Who is an author you'd like to read that you've never read before? So this is a tough one for me because, like, there's a lot of authors that I've never read before. Yeah. Um, I would like you to read The Murderbot Diaries next year. Now that I think about it, you want to read more sci-fi. Yeah, that would probably be something that'd be up my alley. So maybe give that a shot. Yeah, I think Martha Wells probably has a writing style you would enjoy. So then Martha Wells. I had N.A. on the board, but, you know, that works. My answer is also a science fiction writer. I put James S.A. Corey, which is a beloved, like, author writing duo. Like, Christina Lauren is two people. So is James S.A. Corey. I was wondering what all the essays are about in, like, uh, author names, because, like, you have S.A. Chakraborty, you have... That's her actual initials. I know, but I'm saying that, like, in general, there's a lot of essays, though. Hmm. I think this has to do with their actual names. Well, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, but they wrote the Expanse series, and I've never read from them before, but I plan on picking this up in January, so this month, and seeing what I think. If I enjoy it, I'm going to keep going with the rest of the series. I think there's nine books in the Expanse series. Are there any books you want to reread this year? So I don't really know that there's one particular that I want to reread. I feel like I know the second book from Berserker is coming out, so like I will probably reread the first comic just to like remember how weird it was before I go into the second one. Well, I also feel like there were a bunch of little things to pick up on in Berserker that if you're going to continue with the series, you might as well like take 30 minutes to read this at most right before you pick up the next one just to get a little more clarification on the things for me i said i have a ton of rereads to do because that's what i do when i'm about to read the next book in the series as it's coming out but one that i'm really excited to reread is the inheritance games and the hawthorne legacy by jennifer lynn barnes and it's because it's a mystery that has so many layers to it but on top of that it just, it stands up to a reread, and not a lot of books do, so that will be fun to reread. Yeah. Plus, the last one's coming out. I want to make sure I have all the little clues before the mystery wraps up. Makes sense. What's a book that you got for Christmas that you would like to read? I didn't get a book. I guess I could read the instruction manual to the drone I bought. <laughs> we'll call that a book. Well, I mean, if you want to use your drone, you probably should. Yeah, probably true. Are you saying I should have bought you a book for Christmas? No, not really. I feel like I wouldn't have been as excited for it. Yeah. I said that I got a lot of comics and short fiction that I'm excited to read, but probably the one I'm most excited for is the Matt Fraction Hawkeye comics. Yeah. And I'm a little sad that I couldn't find number two anywhere without having to pay an exorbitant amount of money for it. I ended up having to get an e-book version of the comic right. for number two, but... I've got one in three in the house right now. Number four is making its way to me. We should reach out to that little comic book store in the Bishop Arts District and see if they would uh, hunt order one it? down for us or mm. order it. Yeah. They were nice people. Maybe they'd help us. Maybe. Yeah. What is the best book you read last year? And what is the worst? So the best one for me was pretty easy. It was Warcross. I really loved that book. Um, I was surprised how much you enjoyed it. I I enjoyed that series as a whole, so not just that book, I should say. So, like, it was just up my alley because, like, I've done gaming semi-professionally before and it was kind of fun and I enjoyed it. So, like... Definitely not the same type of gaming. No, but same idea. You know, like, I, I really enjoy video games and between work, 
reading podcasts, whatever other projects we're working on. It's just, it's a lot sometimes and I don't get to do it as often as I'd like. So like being able to be thrown into a world where like I could relate to a lot of things. I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is really neat. So like I enjoyed that because of that. And then when it came to worst, uh, I looked between two books because Hatchet and this other book were the lowest rated books I gave. And I didn't go with Hatchet just because it was my childhood favorite, but I realized... The nostalgia factor. Yeah, I kind of pushed it beyond this one. And it was Catching Fire. I didn't really enjoy that book that much. That kind of makes me sad because I I enjoy all of the Hunger Games books. Yeah. So... But if you had to pick your least favorite one... My least favorite Hunger Games book is probably, you're right, Catching Fire. I know a lot of people say Mockingjay, but I think Mockingjay does a good job of showing how Katniss is a pawn for literally everyone and not just the capital. And I think it also does a good job portraying PTSD and like the disorientation that Katniss goes throughout the beginning. So as someone with PTSD, like I really enjoy seeing that. Right. And also being able to see how PTSD affects multiple people in one story. I feel like you don't get a lot of that because you get that with Katniss. You also get it with Finnick. And then you also get it with Joanna Mason as well. And so getting to see how all three of them react to that, I think, makes Mockingjay a better story than Catching Fire. And then Hunger Games has like a nostalgia factor for me because it was the first one, obviously, that I read in the series. So... It introduced me to the story, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But still, like, I would hope you would rate something else lower, but your ratings are your ratings. Yeah, nothing else really fell that low. Um, the John Green book that I read was there, but it was higher in the threes than the other two, so like it was just kind of like, eh. Yeah. For me, I said that the best is probably The Lies of Loch Lamora by Scott Lynch. It is a found family of thieves and conmen, and I said, shut up and take my money. And they did. They took my Christmas money as well, because not only did I buy the series when I was reading them, I also bought the pretty fancy versions from the UK. So they did shut me up, and they did take my money. Did we finally receive those? Yes, they're right there on the shelf. Up there. By Snape. Oh, I see them. Yes, they do look very pretty. They look even prettier off the shelf. Yeah. I wanted to say it was tied between that and the one by John Mars, but then I remembered how insane parts of the one were and how I didn't love all of the things that made it absolutely insane. So this one won hands down. It won over one? Yes, it did. Okay. The worst I put as The Past by Tessa Hadley. It got a one-star rating for me, which is the lowest rating I gave all year last year. Well, and you give a one star for a book that's just published. Basically, if I give it a one star, it's like you get this one star just because you managed to get this book published. And like there is nothing else redeemable about this book. The writing is bad. The plot is bad. The characters are bad. So you just get the one star. So it's a book about a family that goes to their country house for a few weeks over the summer and secrets supposedly start coming out. But... Really, this was a waste of paper because no secrets come out. They're not even really hinted at. And so you're just left there like, okay, we went to the country house. This one girl saw her brother having sex with his wife. And then some kids went and stayed out too late 
one night and then came home the next day. End of book. Sorry, I knocked the microphone. Attacking the mic. I'm that mad about this book. I'll attack anything in front of me. Good thing I'm like six feet away from you at the moment. But it was it was literally a waste of paper. I'm sorry to hear that. And the last question is, what projects, if any, are you working on this year? I think you should start with the response on this one because mine, I think, is maybe a little larger announcement, but I might be wrong. I don't know about announcement. You've been hinting at it for a while. But I said that I still have my 40 books I want to read before I turn 40 project going on. I made a list of 40 books I wanted to read before I turned 40, right before my 32nd birthday in July. And uh, apparently I'm already halfway through that list in six months. You wouldn't be you if you didn't attack it in this method. I was going to say hyperfixate on the list. That works too. But I read almost all of the small things yeah. in that six months. Correct. So... I'm probably only going to read about four things this year based on, like, what I've planned out for my reading so far. I guess this year, not next year. I'm only going to get through four this year, I think. Yeah. But I also have arcs that I need to read from NetGalley and keep up with. And then I also need to keep up with all the new releases that I pre-ordered. So those are, like, the three main things I'm focusing on with my reading. But my goal is still to read less. So we'll see if that can happen. Yeah, and I guess the project that is kinted upon not really as secret, thanks to your pointing out, I realize I have been talking about it a lot. We're going to start a YouTube channel this year, and we'll see how it goes. We're not sure whether we're going to do two channels separate, like a vlog and a book channel, but like the reality is we will probably lean more towards the book channel weight than the vlog stuff. I'm thinking we're probably going to just do everything all on one channel. And our normal lives are usually sports and books. So keeping it all on one makes sense. Yeah. Because we will literally turn on a hockey game and I will read while the hockey game's going on. Unless it's my team, of course, and then I'll actually pay attention. Yeah. Or if it's an interesting game. I won't be able to focus, but that's that's what we do in regular life, and that's what we're going to be showing the world. And we hope to bring you guys with us on some of our trips for the sports, and we're going to Zurich, which will be fun. We'll have to find some like neat bookstores in Zurich to go to, or in Interlaken, or wherever we end up on the Zurich trip, because you'll probably see us in the vlog portions of things trying to plan that trip over the next few weeks. Well, what's crazy is that I have less than eight weeks to plan this trip because that's when we are leaving, less than eight weeks. Yeah. As long as the world doesn't completely shut down before then. That's true. We'll see what ends up coming of that. But I think that's the big project for the year for us, realistically. Like, it's going to take a lot of time for me doing edits and you doing edits and finding the time to remember to plug everything in every night before we go to sleep because batteries yes. are required to make things work. It's a small thing, but it's important. Yes. But we've been gone for about 10 days between the last episode that we posted and the next episode. so It makes sense that you've read more than 10 things. A lot of these things are really small, and I've read 12 things. And I ordered them by similarity or if they're parts in series instead of by date read because otherwise it would start with lumberjanes and end with lumberjanes or something weird so that that would be pretty great but i understand why you did what you did but basically i read a lot of comics because life decided it wanted to be scary 
IRL. And so I decided, you know what combats the scaries? The funnies. Yeah, that is usually how life balances things out, hopefully, for most of y'all. I read Lumberjanes Volume 7, A Bird's Eye View by Noelle Stevenson. It's a 2017 release that I ended up rating 3.5 stars. So overall, the series is going down for me, but like not enough for me to not want to keep reading. But in the Lumberjanes comics, we follow the girls of the Roanoke Cabin at Miss Quinzella Thisquin, Penny Quequel, Thistle Crumpets Camp for Hardcore Lady Types. I as really, they face more supernatural creatures. I really, really want, like, on the YouTube channel for you to read that five times fast. I can only read it one time at normal speed. <laughs> but in this one, we are dealing with a giant eagle that takes the representation of the, like, people who make the decisions for the Lumberjanes and, like, the people who are, like, not overlords. That's not what I'm thinking of. They run the council. I was going to say that's really intense. <laughs> All of a sudden, overlords in, like, a book that's put in the kids' section. No, so. no. I mean, they're more like the council that writes the field manual and decides what the badges are going to be and stuff Got for it. the Lumberjanes. Got it. But overlords is the word my brain supplied. I was going to so. say, like, I played a video game called Overlords as a kid, and it was literally you play as the devil and you use demons to attack things. So, like, probably not that. Maybe that's what these supernatural creatures are. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the real true, like, story behind the story is that it's all run by the council. <laughs> Who are a bunch of devils that use demons to attack the, the people at the camp. Look, I'm only seven volumes in. I've got 13 <laughs> to go. We're going to find out. Yeah. And then I read Giant Days Volumes 4 and 5 by yeah. John Allison. They are both 2017 releases and part of an adult comic series. I rated them both 3.5 stars. Like I said, with Lumberjanes, the series is going down, but not enough for me to not want to read these. Right. This series follows the lives of a group of friends in their first year at university in the UK. The last one that I read, Volume 5, actually ended their first year. So Volume 6 is going to start their second year. Got it. I also finished my reread of Harry Potter with finishing The Deathly Hallows. I am still uncertain if I'm going to reread this at all next year, but if I do, I'm not going to be mentioning it on the podcast or my blog. It would just be something that I read on the side. Yeah. And we all know why, so. And if you don't, just take your nose out of the book and look online because things are very apparent. Yes. I reread The Old Guard Book 1, Opening Fire by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. It's from 2017 and an adult comic series. Originally, I rated it four stars, and this first one is about a group of immortals bringing in a new immortal, as well as trying to evade capture from a pharmaceutical tycoon. Interesting. You've read it. Yeah, but still, like, I... This might be a reread for me because there's another one coming out this year as well, right? So. Maybe? No and yes. I'll get to it in a second. Got it. I also reread The Old Guard Book 2, Force Multiplied by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. It came out in 2020 and it's an adult comic series. This one also got a four-star rating from me originally. The group of immortals face new challenges as one of their own has their past questioned. And that's the only way I can really think to describe that one without giving anything away. And the reason why I said yes and no is because The Old Guard Tales Through Time by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez came out on December 21st. And I haven't read it yet. And you haven't read it yet. Also, this isn't a direct continuation from the first two. This is a bunch of stories throughout time 
So there probably is another book coming then. There is a final volume three of the original series coming out at some point. I want to say it's this year or next year. But this one just tells a bunch of like interludes of different moments throughout the Immortals' lives. I read this one as well. I rated it four stars. No one is surprised. This just gets four stars from me. All of it. I would say I'm shocked, but I'm not. And I've already described what it's about to you. So, And then On Christmas Eve, I read On Christmas Eve by Anne M. Martin and Catherine Martin, illustrated by John J. Muth. Did you really read that on Christmas Eve? Yes. How did I miss that? Oh, you did, must have done it while I was at work. That's the only yeah. explanation. I was so confused. I'm like, you definitely didn't read at any point on Christmas Eve while I was at home. So I was cooking the whole time you were home. Yes. But on the day of Christmas Eve, I read on Christmas Eve because I did it for the pun. Yeah. It's a backlist book from 2006, and it's a children's holiday novella is what I called it. I mean... For a children's book, it's probably, like, the right size. But, like, for someone as an adult reading this, it's, like, novella-sized. Yeah. I rated it three stars. In this one, eight-year-old Tess is convinced that this year is going to be the year she finally meets Santa. Tess's faith in the season results in a Christmas Eve so wonderful that readers can't help but get into the Christmas spirit, too. But, actually, the little kid is kind of a piece of crap. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. She's very selfish and self-centered, and her her friend has a dad dealing with cancer over Christmas. And, like, yeah, she asked Santa to fix him, but, like, she makes everything about herself. Well, at least she didn't go, well, why you gotta be such a downer? I guess it could be worse, but, like... I mean, she specifically wishes for Santa and asks Santa to fix her friend's dad, who, like, he has cancer, and he obviously is gonna die by the end of the book. But, like, she gets mad at her friend for not wanting to spend time with her and stuff because her dad's sick. She just wants to stay with her dad. Gotcha. And, like, maybe it was more okay in 2006 and maybe I would have liked it better, but I don't think so. Then I read Little Moments of Love by Katana Chetwind. It's a 2018 release, an adult comic collection is what I put it. It's cute. I rated it five stars. Yeah. And it's another collection of Katana comics about her relationship with her fiancé. It's very adorable. If you've ever been in any kind of romantic relationship, there's at least one or two pages of this that you're like, hey, look, it's us. I would say, honestly, probably more often than even that a lot of the times. like, But not like, all of these are, like, broad enough for most people. That's true. I, I can agree with that. Some of these are very specific situations that you and I are just like, that's us. Yeah. But not everyone. Then I read Book Love by Debbie Tung. It's a 2019 release, and it's a comic for book lovers that I rated four stars. It makes sense that you'd give it a good rating as you are a book lover. It would be very strange if you gave book love no love, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought you were going to make another joke. I was just waiting for it. Oh, There's plenty more in the bank, but I don't want to drag it out. And then I read a comic that we found at Barnes & Noble on the, like, table of really cheap books it was like three bucks so i read it because i love this comic i just love the name of the comic it's called homicidal psycho jungle cat by bill watterson it's a 1994 release and it's a collection of the calvin and hobbs comics calvin and hobbs have always been my favorite comics so like 
if I find a cheap version of it, I'm going to buy it. I just think it's weird that you say that because, like, your whole family is obsessed with peanuts. Like, to I another level. I am not level. my family. Well, obviously, but, like, it's just weird that you stray away from that a little bit. How dare you be your own person? Well, no, I'm glad you are. I'm, yeah. again, just saying, like, it's I just also strange. like the peanuts, though, to be fair. You literally have a pillow with the peanuts characters on it right now. So, yes. yeah. I, I like the peanuts, too, but... Calvin and Hobbes are my favorite, and I think it's because Hobbes gets his revenge sometimes on Calvin. Yeah. And no one believes him because it's his stuffed tiger. Yeah. But that is also part of the reason I was glad we picked this one up, because it's obviously called that for Hobbes. Right. And so you do get a lot of scenes of him, like, getting his revenge on Calvin. Yeah. Like, if I had to pick a kids comic garfield was a pretty good one for me right and then peanuts honestly i, I feel like you can't go wrong with peanuts everybody yeah. read peanuts but this collection i rated four stars i honestly wish there was a tiny bit more of Hobbes being a little piece of crap to calvin yeah but it was still really good it's good and the last thing i read was evershore by brandon sanderson and jancy patterson it's a new release from december 28th i believe and it's a YA science fiction novella. It's book number 3.1, technically, in the Skyward series. I ended up rating this 3.5 stars. I think it's the lowest I've rated anything in Skyward, if I remember correctly. But, like, it's not bad. It's just I needed more at the end. Like, it just it. it finished too soon, especially given how Cytonic ends, which I can't explain better than that because you haven't finished Cytonic. But I, but I feel like you're going to get them more in the next book that you just dropped the bomb on me about. So, like, the reality is it's not like you're getting cut off yet. Yeah, it's just... You have to wait now. It's not even that. It's the, the timeline's not 100%. Got it. Like, it doesn't go as far as Cytonic goes. And I needed that, like, last 20 pages of filling in that time frame. I can understand that. But in this one, Jorgen and Alanik must work together with the Kitson of the Evershore planet in this novella. And that's all I can say, because you haven't read it. I'm excited for the Kitson to be back, to be completely honest. I know They're that so cute. I knew that was the one thing that you thoroughly enjoyed more so than anything. I love them. They're foxes. They're little fox gerbil guys. Yeah. That's adorable. Right. And as for what I plan on reading next, technically I've already started two of these things, which is not normal for me. I don't normally read two things at once, but this one is kind of an exception to the rule because I am starting but not finishing The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas until probably the end of February is how long it's going to take me to read this. It is a novel that was released serially in newspapers from 1844 to 1845 and this is an adult classic most people know what this one is but it is from my 40 books before 40 list and I'm giving myself two months to read this because I am very bad at reading classics takes a lot of time it's a lot of work I end up having to look at like annotations like notes on notes about this stuff and like if I don't understand something like, because I don't understand the history of it enough, I go and look up the history of that time period specifically. So, like, it is a lot of work for me to read a classic. It's why I don't like reading classics. So, right. my goal is to read between 20 and 30 pages every single day until I finish it in February, probably at the end of February. But this one is a tale of wrongful imprisonment followed by revenge and possibly murder. I think it's going to be murder. 
I didn't realize that it was released in newspapers originally in like individual sections. Yeah. That's interesting. And he was paid by line. And so that's why you have a lot of flowery writing or like repeated things. Like a scene that I read yesterday had the main character say something. And then someone was like, oh, okay. Or like, yeah, or something like that. And then he just like repeated himself and then like expanded on the thing that he had said. Because he wanted to make more money. like make, That makes sense, though. What do you do if you want to expand the paper you're writing for English? Do you repeat something you've already said in a different way? Because you need the paper to be 10 pages and not 9.5 pages. It's fair. A similar idea. Yeah. And I'm also about two-thirds of the way through Horror Hotel by Victoria Fulton and Faith McLaren. It's a net galley arc that releases on February 1st. And it's a YA horror novel. It's called Horror Hotel. I am not surprised. Wait, what? In this one, a group of teenage ghost hunters spend the night in a haunted LA hotel. Interesting. I'm enjoying it so far. I will say it's only 225 pages, and I find the length of the novel to already be kind of a problem. But I'm hoping the last 70 pages or so I have left kind of fills in the things that I think are missing. And then I want to read Lumberjanes Volume 8, Stone Cold by Shannon Waters. It's a 2018 release and a middle grade children's comic series is what it's classified as, I think. In the Lumberjanes comics, we follow the girls of the Roanoke cabin at Miss Quinzelleth, Thisquin, Pennyquequel, Thistle, Crumpets, Camp for Hardcore Lady Types as they face more supernatural creatures. In this one, it's a creature that turns people into stone, hence Stone Cold. So, like, Medusa style. Yes. Something like that. Interesting. I don't think it's actually Medusa, though. Well, obviously, you don't, like, I, I feel like you can't completely re- repeat a story, but, like, similar to that idea. Yeah. And then I also want to read Giant Days, Volume 6 by John Allison. It's a 2017 release and an adult comic series. This series follows a group of friends at university in the UK. In this volume, we start the second year. And, like, I'm a little conflicted because it sounds like a lot to read in a week, but it's one book and two comics. So, like, if we're not counting the comics towards my reading total, I'm only reading one book this week. Realistically, yeah, and parts of a second book, slowly but surely. So, I'm, I'm a little conflicted about how we're going to organize all these things as we go, but we'll see. Right. So, I can't remember if I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, but I'm fighting a cold So that's why I sound like a whiny child or a husky, sexy voice or somewhere in between. I I feel like it's gotten progressively better throughout the recording, which makes no sense because... Medications, you're the one. You make my cold. Go away. Hey, I I was wondering where you were going to go with that. I was going to say so much fun. This is not fun. But I was going to say I sound weird and my brain is a little bit foggy. So I'm going to try to help you discuss what happened in the middle third of Cytonic, but... God knows how that's going to go. We could keep it bittersweet and short if we really had to, but like some pretty key things happened. A lot happened in the second third, and you read technically more than a third by like 10 pages or something. Oh, God. But how did you enjoy the middle section of Saito? I enjoyed it way more than the first third of the book. Yeah. Um, and what's weird is in a lot of books that I've read so far, it seems like the first third gets you hooked. The second third is building upon something happening. And then the third third is where like all hell breaks loose. Right. 
and all hell's been breaking loose in the second third of the book. So I don't know what is coming in the last third of the book because I know there's things that are coming because I've read far enough to where I have maybe some spoilers, but like, boy, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat to say the least. Hang on to your hat. Yeah. I know that we had just ended on the part where Spencer and Chet are discovering that some people have planes in the nowhere and that they're able to fly them. Like they see them flying. Yeah, they see them doing combative exercises. Chet already knows they exist. It was more of Spencer figuring it out. Them. Yeah. And so they have concocted a plan in order to get Spencer one that she can fly so she can go faster from fragment to fragment to get to the places she needs to go down this path that she was told to go on. And now that I'm thinking back on the book, technically Spencer also knew there were things that fly because when she was kidnapped, they tried to fly away and shoot at the big dinosaur thing. So Right. I think it was more of discovering that they were nearby. More and that there are more than just, like, the three that she saw. Yeah. And so they had come up with a plan in order to try to break in and get some planes. The only thing is, Spencer doesn't know all the different alien species, so she doesn't quite have everything planned out for when she runs into others. Like, she has a scan done of the building by Mbot for heat signatures, not realizing there are aliens whose blood does not run hot. Yeah. And so or they, blood, period, because they're crystals, technically, as we find out And later. so, like, they're not going to have a heat signature. Right. And so just her lack of knowledge in this world opens her up to things not going very well. Right. Needless to say, her, like, sneaky plan of trying to snag a ship backfires. She actually decides, after she's separated from Chet, to bury her reality icon because... She's worried that if she gets caught, someone else is going to find it. And she was worried about leaving it with Chet because he, like, values it so highly. That he might just ditch her with it. Yeah. Yeah. And she ends up getting caught anyway. Yeah. But at least they don't have to take her reality icon. They do take her reality ashes from her. The The reality of the reality side of this story is that she called an audible and tried to break into a different hangar than the one that she originally had planned to, and that put because her in a situation. Because she still didn't 100% trust Chet. She's like, well, instead of the one we agreed on, I'm going to try this other one. Just in case he rats me out. Yeah. Right. And she ends up getting caught. Go figure. Sometimes you have to trust people. That's the lesson I learned Yeah. from this third of the book. And so she ends up getting caught, and it's basically they're a bunch of, I don't know, I think they call them pirates. Broadsiders. And they are the broadsider, like, faction of peoples and she basically has to work for them. Like I, I wouldn't say slave, but like kind of in, not indenture. I don't know. She's a prisoner and she's being forced to work. Yeah. It's a labor camp. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and they have all this technology, but it turns out that their destructors aren't destructors. And so instead it basically locks up the ships that it goes against when it goes to shoot them. You're jumping ahead a few chapters, but well, yes. But I'm just trying to explain like what she's walking into when she's basically walking into this like garage full of or this hangar full of planes. She notices that there's a difference between the destructors she's used to seeing and the ones they have. Yeah. But she doesn't know what the thing is for a while. 
until she basically tries to escape with one of them, but that's still jumping. Yeah. Good ways ahead. But they basically hook her up to a light line. She's not allowed in any sort of proximity to Imbot. And they don't know Imbot's AI. They think it's just a cleaning drone or something like that. Right. But she's still not allowed near it. And at the end of the first night, she has a cytonic conversation with Chet. And Chet explains that he's injured. She explains that she's been captured. And, like, they're trying to come up with a plan for her escape. And while she is planning her escape with Chet and, you know, doing this basic work, she realizes that they don't really know as much as she does when it comes to not just like how to fly and tactics of flying. How also, to even like fix the basic things that need to be fixed. How they fix everything. And that's part of the reason that we will discuss later, I guess, that they don't do destructor fire on other ships. It's all locking them up because like they don't have, they don't have the knowledge or the parts in order to fix things if they break. Right. But we also see that Spencer loses track of time a lot as she's going through the routine of cleaning and maintaining things and, like, plotting. And so she's realizing she has to keep a better track of time because she doesn't want to lose too much time here because she is needed back at home. Right. We are introduced to the people who are the pirates in this, like, who have their ships in this hangar. And there are a bunch of different types of aliens, including the crystal people, like you were discussing, who, to move around, they basically grow more crystals in the direction that they are trying to go, sort of thing. Which is interesting, and I don't know that I've, like, heard of that before. And I like that it's a type of alien that you don't typically see, because when it comes for media for us to consume, it's usually aliens that look and act a lot like humans. Right. That's true. It is very similar, like, to human-based aliens more so than anything. And so I like that the crystals are different, just like vapors different. I like that we have, like, different anatomies and that sort of thing. But also at the same time, Spensa is earning their trust and, like, telling stories because that's all she can really remember, stories more than anything. And obviously she doesn't really trust them, so she's not going to talk about her life even if she remembered it. Right. I can't remember what derails her attempt to steal the fighter. Originally, it's because one of the crystal aliens was inside the cockpit before she got caught. And the second time, nothing really derailed her. She was in the process of getting away. And then to lose the tails that she had because they were flying like more of a shuttle fighter plane, not really like a fighter fighter necessarily. She flies straight up into the... Like, nowhere, basically, the edges of the nowhere, and she starts to lose memory, and then uh, Peg's like, hey, I'm just going to cut you a deal. Like, stop this nonsense. You're clearly a better pilot. Yeah. Yeah. But as she's trying to escape the first two pilots that are coming after her, which are the two crystal-style pilots, that's when she realizes that the destructors aren't destructors because she literally IMPs them and then falls behind them as, like, by power-breaking on them, and then basically blasts them both and freezes them, more or less. Yeah. Um, EMPs them at that point and just kind of moves along. But when she's ditching them, she realizes that her thing is gone. Her, God, what is it, the pin. Her reality icon's missing. Yeah. Yeah. But part of the deal that she makes with Peg is really important to Chet and her's mission of going to the next, like, place of importance on the path of elders. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, 
it was it was important, obviously, for her to make that deal. A for their safety and for them to continue to remember things, and B because the reality is being a pilot with these pirates wasn't as bad as it could have been, I guess, to try to do right. it by herself in just the shuttle. Because she's obviously not going to be able to take on a whole group of fighter pilots by herself in a shuttle. Yeah. It's just not going to work. I believe it was at that point that Spencer used her new plane that she was assigned by Peg, which was a two-seater, to take her, Chet, and some other pirates yeah, to she the was next place on the Path of Elders. Escorted to the, the next ruins. And while she was doing that, she was also giving tips to the other pilots for how to fly better and how to fly better together and right. that sort of thing. That having a wingmate is a lot safer than not having one. And you see yet again that Spencer is in a position of teaching someone how to be a better pilot and how to fly. And But she's pretty good at it. I think it's part of her personality, really, and it's... I've seen some people say that, like, oh, look, here's Spencer teaching other people how to fly again. And it's like, it's not just the same plot point being repeated over and over. I think the repetition is intentional by Sanderson to set up a foundation for, like, of course Spencer is. Spencer's the best one to do this and the best teacher. Right. Like, when it comes to dogfighting over and over and over in the first book, she proved that she was the best. In the second book, like, Braid was about the only person to give her really a run for her money. Yeah. So it shouldn't be a shocker. And I believe also during that flight in is also when we get Peg's history, if I remember correctly. A little bit of it, yeah. And that she wants to control the superiority portal, the one that they go in and out of, not the one that they dump people through. Right, she wants to control Surehold. And that way she can sort of make up for what's happened to her and her family by the superiority. And all the other people that are being abused as like laborers. From the superiority. Yes, because it is a mining station for the occlivity stone that they need in order to make their planes work. Or spacecraft, more so for them. Plane, not a plane. They're both called pilots. It's true. And they end up going and seeing some more memories on the Path of Elders. Which gives them a little more power to their strength, as it seems every step of that path seems to do for them. Right. And this time it was showing the... I believe the humans in the Erdale as they are discovering the nowhere and how the nowhere was changing over time as well. And then how the humans stopped showing up and then the Erdale stopped showing up in the nowhere because that was like their place to meet and like have conversations and develop a bond. And she also sort of has a conversation with like one of the memories, one of the people in the memories about what they're facing trying to deal with all the Delvers and how they're losing their memories. And they're like, that didn't happen in our time. Right. Kind of leads me to believe that like somebody bad somehow found their way in there and like created the Delvers almost like. And there was also this conversation about how if you're facing that many of them, you're doomed because we barely fought off the one last time. Yeah. They were talking about finding the memories of a man named Jason Wright in order to get more answers to, like, their questions. Right. And they also kind of help Spencer, like, hone more of her powers at this site as well. And they discover that the next portal is in Surehold itself. That's going to be a fun next stop. 
Yeah. To say the least. And so she decides to help Peg on her mission to gain hold of Surehold because how else would I have said that? There is no other way to have said that. Because it helps and their ideas of what to do moving forward kind of align for their different goals. Technically, she already committed to Peg, I think. It just made her feel better about the agreement she made with Peg. But she also wants to know more about Peg's plans and like how Peg plans to do this. And she mentions with the help of her sons. And so Spencer's like, you mean the ones that you've been fighting against in the different factions that you've been in? Yeah, because it sounds like they want to be very helpful. Yes. I like how that story gets turned up on top of its head, though. Do you get to see the firefight? The other one? You get to see the battle scene, yes. It's like a challenge? Yeah. Okay. Because... You also get to see the flight back from it. Okay. But beyond that, no. Because she's like telling a story, remember, about the Lion King? Yes. Afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. Which was thought was really interesting take on it. I do like her opponent ends up being our good old friend Hesho, which I thought was kind of cool. Basically, they have a... A, like, game that they do between the different factions. Called a gladiator duel. It's kind of what it is, but in space. And, like, this is Peg's chance of, like, getting the other factions on her side. Like, if she wins with Spensa, then you have to work with her. And if she loses, then you get what you want from Peg, basically. Yeah. So they flew in to Jolly Roger territory which is the section over from their section which is where the stadium for the battle takes place and basically you have a firefight but also you have to stay within these parameters and if you escape then other planes can shoot you down yeah and basically like a cylinder straight up with all sorts of things to avoid like obstacles and stuff and so she ended up having to fight this like new arrival Champion because had ended up defeating Peg's son earlier in the day. And so the champion ends up losing to Spencer. In like a really cool way too at that. Like she literally light lances him and flings him out of the freaking area so that And other people can shoot shoot him him down. down. Yeah. Yeah. And it ends up being Hesho. Yeah. Who we had thought had died at the end of book two, but it turns out he had ended up in the nowhere instead right and hesho doesn't really remember spensa or anything along those lines he's been by himself for so long then at the end of all this we discover that they will join up with peg peg gets a certain number of factions to work with her except for velp's faction and then the broadsiders all have like this big party celebrating Spencer's win and they have like food even though they don't really need it and Spencer tells this story about the Lion King and of course the details are like not right to those of us who uh, grew up with the Lion King. The names aren't right. The story itself isn't that far off. It's a little mixed up yeah, a little bit, but not, not like too crazy. much. Yeah. But I like that about the story because like, of course, if it's going to be thousands of years in the future, of course stuff gets Lion lost Lion King would be lost changed. in translation, yeah. And like Pride Rock ends up being like a fortress yeah. instead of just being like, where all the lions are. Right. Where the pride is. Yeah. 
And, like, it was really cute to see her, like, be a storyteller yeah. and be able to have that experience with and him. And everybody else going, like, ooh, ah, like, that's such a great story. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's one we told children. <laughs> Trying to see if anything else major happens in that chapter. She's communicating with, like, everyone that's there for the Broadsider party and getting to know them, and everyone seems to, like, chat a lot. But just as they were starting to ask her to tell another story, their base scanner alarm started going off. I believe that's where I made you stop reading. That's correct. Dun, dun, dun. It's kind of a really rough cliffhanger. Yeah. There was also another part. There was an interlude we had skipped over. Well, we missed the peg fight was one of the big things for sure, where she fought peg to try to escape in the first place to get the jet. Well, yeah, but... But otherwise, that's pretty much all that I think we missed. The interlude was more of Spensa being asleep and her mind traveling different places. But it ends up being Winsick that she's watching and Braid and how Spensa sort of broke out of this cage that Braid had put her in. And that's why she was having trouble with her cytonic abilities for a little while while she was sleeping. Right. And, of course, Braid is still hateful and hates her, and Winzig is Winzig. And Jorgen tries to contact her while she's fighting with Braid, and it's sort of sloppy. But we do overhear what's happening with the Delvers and how they accept the deal with Winzig that you make all of these noises go away and we will help you with the fights you want to have. Right. The battles you want to have. So. Which is not the best news in the world. I mean, that's not good for Spencer. Yeah. Or the other humans. Let's be honest, the rest of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to be as in-depth as I could, having read this very long ago and still having a cold. And a galaxy yeah. far, far away. But it was really good. I'm excited that you're enjoying it. I think you will also enjoy the last third. I think it definitely wraps up the book pretty well. It's good. I'm excited for it. I'm ready to read it and finish it. And, and then on to Evershore. On to Evershore, yep. But guys, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe while we are off doing more bookish and sports things. And we will catch you next week on the Tuesday episode of sports-related podcasts. Yay. Bye, guys. Bye. Bronog. Bronoff. Bronoff. Bronoff.